Thank you for listening to this message from Southridge Community Church, located in Clinton, New Jersey. We hope God speaks to you through this message today and that you find new ways to apply His Word to your life. Additional messages and more information can be found on southridgecc.org. So let's get started. Last week, we began a series called Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 17. And that took us into the Old Testament for a while here at Southridge. Actually, been since September, we've been mostly in the New Testament. And so, as we said last week, the Bible is about 43% narrative. It's about 43% a story being told to us. Different parts of that story are more accessible than others. Sometimes the teachings of Jesus, even though they're 2,000 years old, we can understand a little bit more easily maybe than some passages in the Old Testament that even have a higher level of being further removed from us culturally in who we are in just our perspective on life. Sometimes we say this, we read through all of Scripture and we read all through Scripture. We read through all of Scripture, in other words, from Genesis, the first book in the Bible, to Revelation, all of that is God's story of how he's interacting with humanity. And so we read through all of Scripture. Some pieces are more challenging than others. Some are more accessible than others. But we read through all of Scripture. And then we say, we also read all through Scripture. In other words, We look at our present life through the lens of Scripture, that Scripture and the truth of who God is is not simply a small slice of the pie, but that we actually read all things through Scripture. We read it through the lens of who God is. We read it through the lens of his character. We read it through the lens of his work. So we read through all of scripture from beginning to end, and we read all through scripture, meaning we read every aspect of our lives through the lens of God's truth. Uh, Sometimes we say this as well. We want to read through scripture, but just as importantly, we want scripture to read us. Periodically, we meant we want to read through Scripture, but we just don't want to have our minds sort of packed with details. We actually want Scripture to read us. We want God's story to interpret our lives. We want to see our lives through the lens of God's story. And so those are two kind of foundational things as we dive into the Old Testament. I'm going to ask Sharon to come up with us this morning, and she's going to read 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 1 through 16. A little bit of background just before she reads. Uh, the background is Elijah, a prophet, is directly confronting King Ahab of Israel. Uh, Israel has been in covenant with God. He's called them to himself. He said, through you as a nation, I'm going to bless and bring restoration to the world. Unfortunately, Israel did not follow after God as they had committed to doing. Uh, King Ahab led them in the direction of worshiping other gods as a result of that. They did not become a reflection of God's truth, his mercy, his justice, his compassion in the world as God desired for them to be. And so God sends along Elijah to confront King Ahab and the nation with the fact that they're not being faithful to the covenant that they had made with God. And so Sharon picks up in 1 Kings chapter 17, uh, verses 1 through 16. 
Now Elijah, the Tishbite, from Tishba in Gilead, said to Ahab, as the, Lord, the, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah, leave here, turn eastward, eastward and hide in the Kareth ravine, east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. So he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning, and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Some time later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there, gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called, And bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. The jar of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day of the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up, and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Thank you, Sharon. Uh, we're going to take just one small aspect that comes up a number of times that we alluded to last week in this chapter, and we're going to extrapolate that into some other directions and issues in our culture. So kind of like hang on. We're going to cover a lot this morning. Uh, so hang on, fasten your seatbelts, and, and get ready. Uh, last Sunday, we said that the person who is the main character of this narrative, the main character of Scripture, actually, is the person of God. We said we are not the main character. God is the main character. It doesn't revolve around our lives. It's how we read our lives into who God is and apply ourselves to him and his faithfulness. Uh, we said last week that one of the indicators of that is the number of times in which the name the Lord shows up in these verses. Actually, the first 16 verses of chapter 17, which again, there's a new character here named Elijah. He's kind of prominent on the scene. But Elijah's name, who's prominent on the scene, who's, who's brand new, is actually not the name that's mentioned the most. Elijah's name is mentioned six times in verses 1 through 16. The name of the Lord is mentioned eight times. 
And as you continue to go throughout chapter 17, that continues. The name of the Lord is prominently mentioned. He's the main character. And there's some fascinating things about that. And uh, we'll kind of like work through some stuff this morning and then again, apply it to some, some challenging areas in our culture. In your Bibles, if you look at them, probably most of you, uh, when it has the word Lord, has capital L and then sort of a, a, a smaller, but capital letters, letters O-R-D, capital L, but also capital O-R-D, that's Lord. Uh, once in a while, also in the Old Testament, you simply find capital L and then small O-R-D. Uh, both of them are simply Lord, obviously, uh, but they're actually very different in, in what they are in the original Hebrew language. It's kind of fascinating to, to trace that out. Uh, the, this, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, is actually the name, what we call Yahweh, kind of looks like this. Uh, these are Hebrew letters. You read Hebrew from right to left rather than from left to right. It's Yod, Hey. This is actually Hey, Vav, and Hey. So it's actually four letters. You might have heard of the word tetragrammaton. Uh, it means four letters. That's the reference to Lord, the personal name of God. Tetragrammaton, tetra meaning four. Gram, you can hear the word grammar in there, four letters. And so these are four letters of the Hebrew alphabet that are the personal name of God, the personal name of Lord. The other Lord with just a capital L, small O-R-D, is this. It's Adonai. Uh, it's Adonai. That Lord means simply master, the one who's an authority over. So Lord Adonai is master, is Lord. This capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is the personal name of God. Now, now here's the deal. This is kind of fascinating and this interests me. Maybe I'm a nerd, so you can, you know, hopefully it interests you, but if not, that's okay. Um, here's the deal. In ancient times, the Jewish people regarded the personal name of God with so much reverence, so much awe, they never said his personal name. They never pronounced it. Uh, one of the things in Hebrew is actually, again, you read it right to left rather than left to right. There's also no vowels in Hebrew. Uh, since in more modern times, there's actually some vowel pointings that scribes put into place to help us pronounce. But in the original Hebrew, there are absolutely no vowels. And so one of the things that the scribes did was that they used the vowel sounds from Adonai, and they used these vowel sounds they put them over here to remind people that when they see this, don't say it because that's the personal name of God. It's, it's too high. It's too lofty. It's too revered. Don't say this name. But instead, when you see this, say this. So then when they saw this, they would pronounce Adonai. But they would put the vows of Adonai over here to remind people of what to do. Now, just a couple things. Um, what we generally think is that this name is pronounced Yahweh. 
We actually don't know that for sure because it was never said for hundreds and hundreds of years. And so we, and because there's no vowels, we actually don't know for sure exactly how it's pronounced. But the best that we can do is probably what we sang literally in the song this morning. We sang Yahweh, Yahweh. We were singing, maybe that was strange to a lot of us. We were actually singing this name, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital E. That's the personal name of God. Now, again, the reason that translators do this is because we're not really sure exactly like how this sounded. Some of you may actually have Bibles that have Jehovah. Um, Jehovah is sort of one of those odd things. Jehovah is actually these consonants with those vowels. And so that's kind of like the best that they can do. And so it's sort of like really not, it's kind of like half-breed, I guess. Uh, Jehovah is literally these consonants with these vowels. So this is the personal name. The personal name of God, and again, the best that we can do is, is Yahweh, shows up eight times in the first 16 verses of 1 Kings chapter 17. That personal name is given to Moses for God all the way back in the beginning of Exodus in Exodus chapter 3. God comes to Moses and he says, Moses, my name is this, is this name here. And again, the best that we can do is probably it's Yahweh. Translated, it probably means something like this. I am who I am. Might be along the lines of he is who he is. So first thing about this is simply this. God says my personal name is Yahweh. And the meaning of that name is, I am who I am. Uh, Now, first off, what that means is that God is dependent on nothing else. Nothing impacts who God is. I mean, God has emotions and all that kind of thing. but, But at his core, God's character is absolutely the same from day to year to century to millennia. God is who he is. Uh, You know, to be honest, if the morning's a little rainy and dreary, I kind of wake up and I'm like, ah, like, ah, you feel, ah, okay. If it's sunny, ah, that's spring, you know, it's awesome, it's great. Like, like that's how fragile I am. Don't know about you, but that's me. Uh, I'm kind of getting older and I forget what the percentages are, but like once you reach a certain age, like cells in your body actually die faster than what they, new ones are made. Uh, I don't know how it is, but I think I'm on the losing end of that. So even physiologically, I've lost some stuff up here, like even physiologically, I'm not who I was yesterday. God is who he is. You might get some bad news a relationship blows up, you get a bad medical problem. We are impacted by so many things. We're not who we were just five minutes ago, depending on who's talked to us, what we've read, what's impacted us. God is who he is. But here's what I want you to understand as well. God is who he is. He's not who you want him to be. And he's not who I want him to be. God says, I am who I am. He did not say, I am who you want me to be. He did not say, I am who you're comfortable with. He did not say, I am what you dream up when you dream up a God. He says, I am who I am. Friends, one of the things that's challenging in our culture is pretty often we see God as just a a giant mass of spiritual divine energy. And here's the deal. 
You harness energy to do what you want. You harness energy to accomplish your agenda. You don't harness a personal God. You harness a force. You control a force. You direct a force. That's what you do with a force. But God is not a force. God is Yahweh, friends. He's a person. He is who he is. You don't direct God. You don't steer God's energy toward yourself. God is who he is. And so God is a, a, has a personal name. He's not a machine. He's Yahweh. But he's also not who you want him to be. He's not who you're comfortable with. You know, sometimes people say, well, that's not the kind of God that I would believe in. Well, like this Yahweh chose to tell us who he is. We don't sort of vote on telling him who he should be. And so there's a huge dynamic that happens when we understand that God is personal. But there's also something else I want us to understand. And it's simply this. God is personal, but he's also more than just a position of what's right and wrong. God is personal. He's not just a proposition. See, if God is just a proposition, then we're kind of left on our own to handle those propositions however we want. But God is not, God is not, there's propositional truth about God, but God is not just propositional truth. There are true statements that can be made about God, but God is not simply a truthful statement. There is a right and wrong, but God is not simply a position of what is right. God is a person, friends. He's not simply a position. God is Yahweh. He's the personal Lord God. He is who he is. He's not who I want him to be. And he's probably not who you want him to be either. You know, there's, again, this is kind of replete throughout this text, but this morning I kind of wanted to dive into that because I think it just has huge impact on how we see ourselves and how we see a number of things happening in our culture. And, you know, just kind of like put your seatbelts on here for a second, and we're going to kind of wade through some stuff, and, and I, I pray that it's helpful. Uh, the issue of Roe v. Wade is certainly very loud in our culture these days. It's incredibly unfortunate that there was a leak out of the Supreme Court Supreme Court has always been one of those institutions held just an extremely, with extremely high credibility. And for that leak to happen is just damaging and devastating and just terribly sad that a leak like that would happen. Now, that being said, all indications are that the leak will possibly overturn the decision of Roe v. Wade that happened back in 1973. As followers of Jesus... Like, we certainly value the life of the unborn. We mention that here at Southridge very often, that we believe that the unborn are persons created in the image of God. The scripture mentions in Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, so God created mankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Psalm 139, verse 13 says, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my other's mother's womb. Now, 
the Gospel of Matthew tells us that even a even John the Baptist's mother who was pregnant, that John the Baptist actually leapt in his mother's womb when the mother of Jesus walked into the door and was pregnant with baby Jesus. And so scripture points us to the fact that whether you're whether it's unborn, whether it's aged, whether it's highly capacitated or incapacitated, whether it's fully abled or not or disabled, whatever it is, our value as human beings is not based on a geographic location of whether you're in the womb or outside of the womb. It's not based on sustainability and the effort that it takes to sustain that life. What the value of life is based on the fact that it's created in the image of God. It's a gift from God. And even from our mother's womb, we are known and created by God. And so we, we, we embrace and we believe in the fact that the unborn are persons created in God's image. Historically, we know that it never goes well when a class of people are regarded as not being human. In 1860, blacks were not persons. In 1940, Jews were not persons. In 2022, fetuses are not persons. History tells us it doesn't go well when sort of the more powerful and the, the, the sector of society that has voice, when they use their voice to invalidate the personhood of a weaker, lesser, more voiceless group of people. Scientifically, we often hear, follow the science. We know scientifically the unborn has a different DNA than the mother. Due to increased technology and ultrasound technology, we can see the development inside the womb. We can have fetal diagnosis. We have progressed in the science of fetal pain. We actually do now surgery of treating babies in utero before birth. So scientifically, we also know that the unborn is a person. Interestingly enough, I just in the last day or two, I saw headlines somewhere that Britney Spears says she lost her miracle baby, and she said it's incredibly painful in her life. But sometimes I'm sort of mystified by almost the schizophrenia of our culture, where on one hand, we want to sort of take unborn life, and the other hand, we, we, we champion it. Legally, so biblically, historically, scientifically, legally, someone has, a number of people have actually put this in, the present-day issue with abortion in terms of, of how we would or would not think of slavery. They said, imagine this, and, and when I read these statements, just kind of like put, slave, put abortion in place of slavery. So this, if you, you could have said, if you outlaw slavery, people will still have slaves. That wouldn't fly legally. If you don't want a slave, don't get a slave. We won't say, if you want an abortion, don't get one. I would personally never own a slave, I think it's wrong, but I'm not going to tell other people to not own slaves. Some of the slave owners feel as though they have no other options. How are they going to plant crops without slaves? Slaves are humans, but they're not really persons. As a friend, from the truth of who, from God's word, scientifically, historically, legally, the fact that the unborn are human beings made in God's image, that the aged are made in God's image, that the incapacitated are made in God's image, 
all of these things mean that we embrace and value life wherever it is. But here's the deal, friends. Going back to this, God is not just a God of a position. Yes, our position as followers of Jesus, as believers in Scripture, our position is that the unborn should be protected. But some in our culture today, and you kind of get this just from the temperature of the water out there, says, hey, you know what? The time has come to fight fire with fire, to sling mud if mud is in the air, to sort of express volatility if volatility is expressed toward us. And friends, here, I want you to hear this clearly. God is not just a position. And so there's nothing ever that justifies hostility. There's nothing ever that justifies viciousness. There's never anything that justifies meanness of spirit. Listen, God is not just a position. God is a person. God is Yahweh. He's not just getting the position right. He's not here. Here, it's just a proposition. God is a person. And so we are a people who, yes, believe statements of, of truth in Scripture, but we are also a people who believe in a personal God, Yahweh. And because we believe in that, we love one another. We serve others. Jesus himself told us, love your enemy. Love your enemy. Pray for those who attack you. Those are the words of Jesus. So here's the deal. Yes, we want to get the positions right, and we want to have our positions grounded and rooted in God's truth and the truth of his word. But God is not just statements of truth. God is Yahweh. God's a person of truth. And so God's a person of forgiveness. God is a person of grace. God is a person of mercy. God is a person of compassion. God is a person of kindness. And that's just as much truth as the position. And friends, that's all encapsulated in this fact that God has a personal name and his personal name is Yahweh. He is who he is. And no matter what the political landscape no matter how messy culture gets, God is who he is and his heart and his being are still filled with compassion and truth. And our, we as his followers, our hearts should be filled with that too. We need to be filled of people with both grace and truth. Not just one, not just the other, but we are people who believe in his personal God, Yahweh, who's a God of grace and mercy and compassion and love and forgiveness and who longs for humanity. And we're also people who, yes, believe the truth of God's character and who he is. How does that relate to the passage that you just heard read about this woman who was asked by Elijah to go and take the last thing that she had, a little flask of oil, a little bit of flour. And Elijah says, hey, I'm going to ask you to use that. And through God's power, it's going to be multiplied or it was multiplied. And there was sufficient food for both the woman and her son, as well as for Elijah. Uh, she was incredibly vulnerable. She was a widow. 
didn't have social security like we do today. Uh, She was incredibly vulnerable, but she took what she had and in God's power, he multiplied that to provide for her, her family, her son, as well as for Elijah himself. Now, a couple things. Number one, certainly, now if you're at that place physically, we care about that as a church. We really do. As you heard earlier, we, um, helping hands. We help lots of people with very practical needs like rent or a car bill or grocery bills and you name it. Like we, we really have a value and a passion for that. And so maybe if you literally are in that place physically and financially, like allow us, allow God to use us to actually help you in your point of need. Probably for lots of us, for many of us, we know where our next morsels of food are coming from. I do. I know where my next morsels of food are coming from for today, for tomorrow, for next week, for a pretty long time, actually. And my guess is probably a lot of us are in that position as well. And so we just, do we just close our Bibles and say, like, ah, like, you know, we don't need multiplied food. No, I think there's something deeper there that actually relates to what we just talked to. And, and it's simply this. Number one, before I get there, it's interesting that God asks from this woman through Elijah, he actually dives into a place of her weakness, a place of her deficit, a place of her deficiency. You know, we often think that, oh, like God's going to use my best strengths. That God's going to use what I'm great at. God's going to use what I'm good at. And, and he will. He does. He often does. But, but maybe, maybe God's going to ask you for your deficit. Maybe he's actually going to ask you for the place of your greatest insufficiency. Maybe some of you in a room like this have terminated the life of an unborn. Friends, here's the deal. Don't let that defeat you. Don't let that defeat you. You are in Christ. His grace and mercy mercy are poured out for you. And maybe in a place where you feel extremely deficient, where you feel like you've got a huge deficit, where you feel hugely inadequate, where you feel like a horrible failure, like maybe that's the place that God actually says, hey, can you... Put that in my hands and let me see how I might want to use that. Or maybe the application is this. Maybe it's, maybe we need the power of God's Holy Spirit to enable us to love more strongly and clearly those who might disagree. Maybe it's the power of the Holy Spirit, of the person of Yahweh, who takes our hearts that can often be calloused or self-righteous or simply determined to have our voice be the loudest. Maybe the point of Elijah's story for us and the multiplication and God's power at work through this woman Maybe the point for us is God's glorious power in Christ 
can take our hearts, which are prone toward self-righteousness and condemnation and self-justification and hardness of heart. Maybe he's Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of Yahweh can take our hearts and through the power of Yahweh transform our hearts to hearts that flow with compassion and mercy and grace and truth in a culture that needs it so desperately. Like, wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be amazing if that's how God worked in our lives? In Ephesians chapter 3, here's what Paul says. Listen to these words in light of just the power of God that we saw in providing food for this woman, her son, and Elijah. Here's what Paul says. I pray that out of his glorious riches, that is Christ, that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Listen, friends, I'm absolutely dependent on God for my food for the week, but in all honesty, I do know all things being equal where it's probably going to come from. It's still fully God's provision for me. But man, do I need God's provision to change my heart and soul? Do I need the glorious riches of Yahweh's Son, Jesus Christ, and the power of Yahweh's Holy Spirit for the beauty of Christ to live through me? to love those I might not otherwise love, to care for and have mercy on those I might have disagreement with, to pray and be drawn toward to those who might otherwise be my enemies. I don't know about you, but I need the miracle given to the widow whose flour and oil did not run out. I need the miracle of the glorious riches of Jesus Christ being given to me so that through the Holy Spirit, I can love, I can have mercy, grace, and compassion. May we be people, yes, rooted and grounded in God's truth, that which is right, but may we also be people rooted and grounded in Yahweh, God's person. May we be people filled with both grace and truth because the Lord, Yahweh, is the main character. And may he strengthen us to have his life flow through us to others. Let's stand and let's pray. Lord, we come before you, God, and we just acknowledge that we need your Holy Spirit. God, we, we, there's a litany of issues dividing people. There's a litany of issues causing combativeness, volatility. Lord, we want to be rooted and grounded in your truth. Lord, we also want to be rooted, rooted and grounded in you as a person. 
We want to be people of love, peace, compassion, mercy, grace, and kindness through the Holy Spirit. Just as the widow did not have power to make her oil and flour multiply, we do not have power to change our hearts, our souls, and spirits. And so God, we look to you. We thank you for the glorious riches given to us in Christ Jesus. We thank you for the spirit of Yahweh, the Holy Spirit, who can multiply kindness and mercy and grace in our lives. We ask it in the name of Jesus, our Savior, and everyone who agreed said, amen. amen. Hey, thanks all. I know that was a lot this morning. Our prayer team, yeah, our prayer team is down here to the right. God bless. Have a wonderful day. Thanks so much for worshiping with us.